Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning. Welcome to the last week of Be Real. My name's Zach. I'm glad you guys are here in person and online. And you can go to LexCity.Info, click on message notes if you want to follow along, take your own notes um, as we go here. And so, well, one of the things that was kind of like unbalancing and maybe a little bit off-putting to Jesus' first century followers, especially his disciples in particular, was kind of his over-assumption of their abilities and their capabilities to do things. But you have to remember, Jesus only had a few years to teach these guys a lot of things. So he had to put them into a lot of situations that were really difficult for them, that they weren't prepared for, they didn't have the skills to really take care of. And as you read through scripture, it's actually kind of funny sometimes because they just kind of flailed around and they fail and they mess up just like we would, right, if we were called into that kind of life. And so, you know, in fact, when you think about them being called into that, when he was picking his, his famous 12 apostles or disciples, right, you talk about the, the time when he, when he called in Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It says in Matthew chapter 4, it just says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. First time I heard that, I was like, that's strange, right? Like fishing for people. Maybe you heard it as a kid, if you grew up in church, the phrase, going, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It was another way that it was said. But he's talking about these guys who were fishermen who just fished all night and caught nothing. But he's like, that's okay, guys. Don't worry about it. I'm going to help you fish for something else. I'm going to help you fish for people. And then later, even though they were men who grew up around the sea, there's a couple of occasions where Jesus kind of puts them into a boat without him, pushes them off and says, hey, I want you to go across the sea and I'll meet you on the other side. And these great fishermen won't even be able to make it across the sea, even though it was only five or six miles across the Sea of Galilee. And one of those times he's doing that, he gets them together, and then he kind of has this big vision cast, and it's in John chapter 14, and they've kind of been watching him do all these amazing things, and then he says this to them. Do the works I have been doing, and you will do even greater things than these. Can you imagine that? They're watching Jesus. They're watching miracles. And he's saying, you're actually going to do even greater things than I'm doing. They're probably thinking, no, we're not. We can't do that. Not greater things than you, right? We couldn't even row, row, row our boat across the lake like you asked us to, right? But he was constantly pushing them into these situations because he realized he only had a few short years to teach them so many things. He was going to be kind of handing the ministry off to them. And so he had to teach them all these things in just a few years. So we kind of create these like, these points of tension, right? These environments to kind of coach and teach them up during this season. To kind of give them lessons. And they weren't just lessons for them. They were lessons for anyone who claims to be or wants to be a follower of Jesus. Now what we're going to talk about today is one of those great examples of when he's pushing them into something, right? It's a story that you probably all heard, and it's in different parts of the gospel, and they kind of give different emphasis and different details there, but it's kind of the general story. But they're, but they're, they're out, and, and uh, they're all together with thousands of people, and Jesus was teaching all day. But the hard part is we don't actually know what Jesus was teaching about, but I kind of compare it to Jesus gives a lot of short sermons, so it's kind of like he was giving a bunch of TED Talks, but Jesus talks, right, all day long to thousands of people, and they're there, and they're on this hillside, and the sun begins to set. And they've been there all day. And there's no, back then there wasn't a restaurant on the corner. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to pop over to Chili's for some appetizers and then come back for the next teaching. Like, that wasn't there. There weren't bathrooms. There weren't facilities there. And so some disciples come up to Jesus, and they're like, hey. And they don't want to act like they're tired and they're hungry. So they're like, these people, they're really hungry. And they're probably tired. They didn't use the bathroom. So we should probably take a break, right? We should send them in to go get some food. And they kind of blame it on the crowd. 
But here's what they say in verse 15 of Matthew 14. We're going to spend the rest of our time on Matthew 14 today. It said, they say, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus, you can kind of see him staring at the crowd, right? And then he turns to the disciples and he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Which I'm sure they thought, well, here he goes again. How is this going to happen? And so... Maybe, maybe you're here today, you're watching online, maybe you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, or maybe you used to be and used to be in church, but you kind of gave it up because maybe a Christian said something crazy to you, or maybe you came to a church and they hurt you, or whatever it is. I'm just glad you're here today, and you're listening to this message today, you're watching online today, because it's important that when you, as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' agenda for the first century followers and for the 21st century followers was this, not simply be people who believe things, It'll be people who are kind of have this active, all-in, gritty, like think of things all the time, daily relational type of faith. That basically our faith would not be something we just believe in our heads or have cerebral knowledge, right? It wouldn't just be we believe things about God or we believe things about Jesus, but we'd have an active faith. Which kind of explains why Jesus' initial invitation and why his invitation to me and to you even today is just two words. Follow me. And then I want you to move and I want you to live and I want you to respond and I want you to react in a different direction than the world would have you do that, right? And Jesus never, he never altered this invitation. Now eventually sometimes the church does that, right? Where they just go, oh, just believe, right? But it really is follow me and believe in me. Because yes, Jesus wants you to believe in him, but he never intended it to stop there. The threshold wasn't just believe in me, right? He invited people to follow him. And I love this. And especially if you're considering Christianity, Jesus invited people to follow him before he invited them to believe in him because the follow part was the gritty part. The follow part was the active part. The follow part is where what he knew would ultimately build and confirm their belief in him. Because sometimes believing is easy, much easier than following, right? It's safer it's less demanding. It doesn't require sometimes any change at all. You just make a decision in your head. But Jesus didn't invite people to simply believe true things. He invited people to live a life that reflected this ultimate and awesome and big and bold confidence in God, our Heavenly Father. Because this is true not only in this but in any relationship because trust is the currency of a relationship. Whether it's your marriage relationship your relationship with your kids, a friend, a family, whoever it is, and also with the Lord. So Jesus invited his first century followers, and he invites you and me to follow him, to live a life that reflects confidence and faith in God. And as it turns out, as you read the Old Testament, as you read the New Testament, that God is most honored by living active here and now type of faith. When our active daily faith says, I'm choosing to forgive, I'm choosing to follow up, I'm choosing to step in, I'm choosing to be compassionate, I'm choosing to be generous... I'm choosing to respond like Jesus. And so when our active faith then intersects with God's faithfulness on the, on the back end, our faith grows. But believing without doing kind of results in this frail, kind of fragile faith. Jesus didn't invite people to simply believe things. He invited people and he invites us to follow him. He invites us to ask the question, and this is a question as a Jesus follower, we should wake up in the morning asking, what would I do? How would I live? How would I respond? How would I react? How would I respond to her? How would I respond to him? What would I do? How would I live? What would I attempt? What would I initiate? What would I avoid 
But to complete the question, what would I do if I was confident that God was with me? Sometimes we wake up and we don't have that confidence, right? And we kind of go through our day with just us doing our thing where we don't really ever ask God to, we don't invite him into the parts of our day. So over the course of a lifetime, whether you're a kid or adult or wherever you're at in your life, what fuels or facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? Because you've met people like this, right? Some of you, you are these people who are just confident in God. And so you would think they would react in one way, the way the world react, when they react in a totally different way. And you're like, how did you do that? How do you react that way? And like, well, it's not me. It's Jesus in my life. So there are several things that produce an active faith. I don't have an all-encompassing list, but I'm going to give you just two of them today. The first one is this, practical teaching. I call it that because when, whenever someone tells their faith story, if you've been a Jesus follower for a while, it always starts with something like, and then I started going to this church, or then I got invited to this Bible study, or then I got invited to this campus ministry, or then this person talked to me about this, right? It always starts there. And someone gave me practical applications. Someone gave me handles. I'd always sort of believed in God, but I understood, but I never understood how belief in God or belief in Jesus was supposed to interface or actually show up in my day-to-day living. So when this happened, my faith grew. My faith got bigger. When for the first time somebody told me what to do and how to live out my faith, and the reason this grows our faith is this. When our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. That is when we step out and do what we think God wants us to do with no guarantee of how things are going to turn out, right? That after we step out and obey God, whatever that is in your life, then we experience God's faithfulness on the back end. And then our faith grows. It's like a muscle. If you don't exercise that muscle, it's not going to grow. But if if you're never in the environment where somebody teaches you and shows you how to live out your faith, it's going to be difficult to exercise that muscle, So when we experience God's faithfulness on the back end of a decision to trust God on the front end, right, we actually experience God. Because there are moments, there are segments, there are seasons, there are stories in our lives that when we think back, we kind of tell these stories. It's always emotional because because we just felt this like internal nudge. The Bible actually calls that the Holy Spirit in your life. But when you have this internal nudge where you're like, I think I'm supposed to do this, I really feel like I'm supposed to, I have a piece about doing this, but man, I'm really struggling with this. This internal nudge, right? Things like, I know I need to apologize to that person. I know I need to write the letter. I know I need to volunteer. I know I need to be more generous. Whatever it is in your life, right? And we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We didn't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the emotional bandwidth, but we did it anyways. And on the back end, God just did something we couldn't anticipate. And we never forget those moments. And then our confidence in God grows. So practical teaching is the first one. The second thing that grows our faith related to this and similar to this, I refer to it just as personal ministry. When people tell their faith story and they answer the question like, so like what like happened along the way that actually grew your faith? People always talk about that first time, right? When they stepped out of their comfort zone and they served someone else or they had that spiritual conversation, or they talked to someone about Jesus for the first time, maybe it was a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a stranger, whatever it was, and they, weren't, and they were like, I don't know how to do this, but God, I know you want me to. I'm gonna step out in faith. 
Maybe it was the first time that you ever served. Maybe you served in kids' ministry and you were like, man, kids terrify me, but I know I'm supposed to step into this. Or maybe you served in youth ministry and you were like, man, middle school kids, are, high school kids are mean sometimes. How do I do this, right? But you stepped out and you did it. And now you have these amazing relationships with these students and their parents, right? Or maybe you've never been on a mission trip before and you stepped out like, we're going to Uganda. I'm taking both my teenage sons with me and there's a whole group of us going. It's gonna be an incredible trip. But it's a step of faith for a lot of people, right? I gotta get a passport. I gotta fly 24 hours to Africa. I gotta sleep in a place I've never been before. Some places we're going don't have running water or power. This is, they're stepping out of their comfort zone, right? But on the back end of that, when God's faithful, your faith grows. And so when you hear this phrase in your head, don't ignore it because it means something. When you want to have all the excuses, like I don't have the money, the time, whatever it is, right? But you hear this phrase, I knew this was just what God wanted me to do. In those moments, your faith is activated and it grows. Because we can always find reasons to back out, right? I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough education. I might say the wrong things. I'm too old. I'm too young. I feel inadequate. Whatever it is, we can find all the excuses in the world to not engage and not build our faith. But when we can just say, I went ahead and did it anyways, and the reason it's part of our story isn't because we are great. The reason it's part of our story is because on the other side of that decision, we experience God's faithfulness and, and God's provision. And the emotional part is that God usually uses that for you to affect someone else's life as well. Because pushing through our inadequacy in order to say yes to God for the benefit of other people grows our faith. So we push through those things when we feel scared, when we don't have the resources, but we feel that nudge, we feel the Holy Spirit saying, you can do this. Just step out and trust me. There is no guarantees, but trust me. In fact, some of you right now, that's what you're feeling right now, and you're going, okay, God, did, is Zach telling me what I need to hear right now? And the answer is probably yes. Maybe you want to start something in the city, in your community, in your church, in your school, in your workplace, whatever it is, and God is nudging you towards that right now. And you're feeling resistance, and you feel like you're going to resist. Okay, guys, here's the deal. That's not a lack of faith when you resist. It's a test of your faith. And you're saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I feel inadequate, but if this is what you, what you want me to do, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do this. Because here's the deal. That nudge, it won't go away. Because here's the other big thing, right? You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision. If you say yes or you say no, you have no idea what hangs in the balance in terms of what's going to happen, but I know for sure what hangs in the balance. It's the quality and the strength of your faith. Because saying yes to God, stepping into serving people, stepping into having that conversation, stepping into inviting that neighbor to church or that coworker to church so that they can hear about the gospel of God and their life can be changed, feeling that nudge. It's one of the things that God always uses to grow our faith. If you don't believe me, ask the disciples. Let's get back to the story, Matthew 14. They said, send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus looks at them and says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So to back up for just a second, a few verses earlier to give you some context, it says, so when Jesus heard what had happened, what he's referencing then is the death of John the Baptist. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. 
So Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been murdered, and not just murdered, executed, head lopped off, put on a platter. I'm not kidding. If you don't know the story, read the Bible. It's savage, okay? And so, and so Jesus basically gets in a boat. He goes in the lake. He went to the farthest northern part of Galilee. He went to the lake to a solitary place because he's upset. He's tired. He would find out he's been doing a lot of ministry, right? He wanted to be alone. He wanted to have some sort of relief, some time to recuperate. And a boat was the only way to escape back then. You couldn't get in your car and roll your window up and listen to Taylor Swift and just kind of get lost in your fields. You couldn't do that, right? He had to actually get in a boat and sail away from people. And so he did this. And he goes on to say, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. The next verse, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples are asking us to do something. And then Jesus turns to them and says, nah, you give them something to eat. So they present a problem and Jesus says, yeah, and I want you to be a part of the solution. But what he asked them to do was impossible. There's thousands of people. And now John says that Jesus said this to test them because he knew it would be impossible. He knew they would be incapable. He's like, I just want, I have a short amount of time. I'm trying to teach these guys to trust me. To step into areas where you're not adequate and you have to realize I can only do what I can do and God will show me what the rest to do, right? And so Andrew they're having this conversation. Andrew apparently over here, a kid over here is Andrew talking about this. And a kid comes up and basically hands him his Yoda lunchbox, right? And the kid says, hey, I don't have a lot, but here's what I have. I heard you guys talking about needing food to feed everyone. Here's what I can give you. In verse 17, it says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And I love what Jesus says next because this is how big problems are solved. This is how macro, community-wide, nationwide, city-wide problems should be addressed and solved is with this invitation to all of us. Jesus smiles and says this, bring them here to me. I know it's one kid. I know it's one lunch. I know it's not much, but bring it to me. And there you stand with our loaves and our fish Some of you have more loaves than fish. Some of you have more fish than loaves. No, we don't all have the same resources. We don't all have the same capabilities, but we all have something to bring to Jesus. And he's inviting us to bring it. He says, you want me to do something? I want you to participate. You want me to do something big? You want me to do something big for the next generation? Do something big for your community? Do something big for the nation? I know you've been praying, right? I want you to participate. So bring me what you have. Another way to ask that question is, as you think about your life and, and, and every, all the influence that you have, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Jesus says, bring me what you have. Is it the faith of the next generation? Bring me what you got. Is it your neighbor or your neighborhood? Bring me what you got. Is it the college student? Bring me what you got. Is it the people at work? Bring me what you got. So in the story, there stands thousands of people kind of milling around, sun starting to go down. They stand there staring at each other, and Andrew's like, here you go, Jesus. This should be interesting. But think about it. They've been following him for a while, so every day for the disciples is probably interesting, right? Because they've been watching Jesus do this crazy stuff all the time. And in verse 19, it says this, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. 
Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. Now what? You know what they did? They did what they knew how to do, which at this point was they knew how to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing and that he would come through. And they literally walked by faith. They didn't come up with something for God to do and then say, God, I'm just going to trust you. That's not walking by faith. Walking by faith isn't coming up with stuff to do and then imposing that on God. Walking by faith is when you feel the nudge to do something. You know you can't do yourself and you step into it anyways. They literally walked into the crowd hoping they weren't going to look like total fools and not have enough food for everybody. Verse 19, then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They activated their faith and it intersected with God's faithfulness. And something remarkable happened in verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is how God works. This is how the world gets changed. This is how communities change. On the other side of it, our faith grows. And so this next statement I'm about to say is true for all of us who are control freaks. Just so for my own therapy, raise your hand if you're a control freak with me, please. Thank you. We'll have a group later together, all right? What I mean by that is in every situation, there is God's part, my part, and your part. When you're a control freak, you want to control all three of them, right? I want to tell you what to do, what me what to do, and I'm like, okay, God, here's, what we're, here's what's going to happen. God, you got this? But here's a statement that especially all of us, but especially control freaks, need to learn. I'll do what I can do and trust God to do what only he can do. That's the walk of faith. And that's the walk that builds your faith. You know what Jesus does after this? Imagine this moment, right? The apostles are collecting more fish and bread left over they can know what to do with, right? They're freaking out, like, Jesus did it again. Look at us. Let's go. We can do whatever. They're thinking, this is amazing. And Jesus is like, great, we're leaving. And he puts them in a boat, and he immediately sends them off again. And they're like, in the boat again, Jesus? What? And so they get off in the boat. And they can't even make it to the other side. And the text tells us that he's trying, he's, he's asked to, them to do this, hoping they would connect the dots between the lesson, the loaves and the fish, and the journey across the lake because he had a compressed time for him to teach these men, right? Trust me. Do what you can do and trust me for the rest. This is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way the world has changed. In fact, in, the, in that particular story, only one person connected the dots that day, and it was Peter. Then imagine, this is the very end. Jesus stands on another hillside. And now he's just got just the apostles and a few extra folks and 20 or 30 women who had supported and followed him from Galilee. And Jesus hands off the entire enterprise to the same group of people. If you haven't watched season three of The Chosen, you need to watch it because there's some amazing moments that I'm talking about right here in there. And it brings it to life. And Jesus says, okay, I've done all that I can do. I've taught you all I can teach you. Remember the lows. Remember uh, the lake. Remember the lessons. And now I want you to do this. Go and make disciples of all nations. They're thinking, most of us haven't traveled more than 50 miles from our hometown. Do you want us to make disciples of all of the nations? But at this point, they're like, we're going to do what we know how to do, which is trust you. And on the back end of our trust, we're going to see your faithfulness happen. And 2,000 years later, here we are. This is the place that every Jesus follower finds himself in at some point. 
But when we hesitate, when we say no, when we decide I'm going to keep it in here and I'm not going to talk to my neighbor, I'm not going to talk to my coworker, I'm not going to talk to my friend, I'm not going to exercise my faith, then our faith, it atrophies, right? It gets weak. It's frail. And then it's not there when you need it. It's not there for somebody else when they need it. But that nudge to serve, that nudge to step in, that nudge to step out, that nudge to invite, that nudge to lead, whatever it might be, when you seize that opportunity, God's going to move in an incredible way. Because you'll never know what hangs in the balance of your decision to step out or not to step out. But the one thing you know for certain that hangs in the balance is your faith and your practical application and your personal ministry and the endurance of your faith. And perhaps someone else's ability to come into a relationship with Jesus. Because we know this, personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weaknesses, which is what God does. And personal ministry positions us to experience God's faithfulness in response to our acts of faith. So as we close today, I want to share a story with you guys, and it's an, it's an incredible story of how some people who are willing to step out and activate their faith and be in the right places to serve other people, and then their, their story intersects with someone that's far from God, and you get to see how God uses that. So check out this story right here. Yeah, my name is Keith. And my name is Amy. And we've been here at Lex City um, almost two decades now. And... Um, one of the things that, uh, that, that we love to do uh, at Lex City is uh, just be available to talk to people and share with people and listen when people are ready to talk about their faith. It's just really exciting to be a part of what God is doing in their lives and to, and to in some way be used by Him as He is, is, is at work in someone else's life is a, is a, huge, uh, is a huge joy and an honor uh, to get to do. Yeah, I would just echo that, that it's just um, incredibly exciting to just see people take steps towards Jesus in their journey with Him. So most recently, we, uh, we joined the leadership team of a group called Starting Point, and, um, and one of the things that, that I really love about that group is it is a, this is a group of people who have come together saying, I want to talk about my faith. I want to explore my faith journey. I love watching people really gain confidence in talking about what's going on on the inside and where they are with God. And just to be able to get it outside of their own head and be able to articulate it with someone else and um, be encouraged in that. It's just neat to see people's guards come down and they can be real um, with where they're at with God. They can be real with each other and it's a safe environment. Hello, my name is Rick Callop. <clears throat> and I'm Betsy Callop. We're here today to tell a story about our son. We've been going to the church, Lex City, for about two years. We love it here. We introduced Brian, our son, about a year ago, and he started coming. If you met Brian, you remember him. He always had a smile. Big sports nut, UK grad, UK fan, and he had two lovely kids, Brady and Alyssa, 11 and 14. So Brian, like all of us, had challenges, right? We all have problems. His was a chemical addiction. So one reason that Brian came to Lex City because he liked and heard about the recovery group that they had here at Lex City really helped him quite a bit. And <clears throat> met a lot of guys, you know, struggling. And it really turned his life around. He was really, really, really doing well. Betch and I were on vacation. And he texted his mom, and I'm going to let her tell what, what he said to her. 
I'd asked him um, how his day had gone, and he said if he had had a really good day. He said, I had a ex spiritual experience today at church. I'll have to explain, but never in my life have I felt this before with so much clarity. He said, I'll call you later about my day, but in short, I gave my life to Christ today. This was on September 18th. He sat with Keith and Amy and stayed about an hour after service with them. It also happened to be baptism today at church with Pitt right in. Keith sent me this verse, which was crazy after what we spoke about. And this is from Keith. Hey Brian, great seeing you today and I'm super excited for you giving your life to Christ. I'm praying for you. This is the verse we talked about after church. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Revelation 3:20. Preacher had us bow our heads and close our eyes and asked to raise our hand if we wanted to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And my hand just went up. Crazy. Yeah, so it was so amazing that day that Brian gave his life to Christ. Uh, I was sitting right beside him at church that day, and uh, and, and when and when Pastor Zach uh, invited people to respond uh, and give their life to Christ, Brian's hand just shot straight up, um, and and so we got to talk uh, for quite a while after um, after the service, and and just really uh, and just really celebrate with him uh, the new life, uh, and Brian really opening the door of his heart uh, to Jesus. It was so amazing the weeks that followed with Brian in our starting point group. Um, we could see him just uh, take new steps, and he was obviously a different person. I mean, he had always been, you know, upbeat, but now we had someone that um, it took that to a whole different level in his life. Um, by the end of the group, he was. Um, hearing other people's concerns and other people's questions and leading into them and helping them in their journey with Jesus. And just to watch that in Brian was really spectacular. It wasn't long after that, just a few weeks, that we got a message that Brian had suddenly passed away. We were floored by it, that we'd lost this new friend um, that was an amazing person. We had um, seen him just come to life, and um, now he was no longer with us. There was a huge gratitude in the middle of that grief because we knew that our short investment really mattered for Brian and for his family. It was just an over amount of gratitude for that to and an honor to be used in Brian's life in those last weeks. When we heard the news that Brian had passed away at four o'clock in the morning, we were shocked. He was doing so well. Um, he suffered from substance use disorder uh, and had been doing all the right things, going to meetings and had a sponsor and just 
doing everything he was supposed to do and we just had no idea. Well, dealing with the loss of a child is extremely tough. Uh, hardest thing we ever went through because you're not supposed to bury a child. The grief comes in waves, it's like an ocean, right? You get little waves, so someday the little waves, it's easier to get through and then something will trigger and start talking about Brian and then a tsunami hits, right? It just takes you under. So the living uh, with loss class here uh, with Harold as instructor has really helped us and the other people in the class that have lost their children as well. Yeah, the Sunday we came to church after Brian passed, these beautiful people were the first ones that met us. And that helped get through, because they saw Brian as he was. Great kid. But having people like that meet you at the door. To God to allow us to intersect uh, with his life just a little bit was just has been a huge gift Thank to you. us. And and following that to get to know you folks yeah. is just has been uh, incredible. We didn't know you before. We know you now. And, and that's and that is an honor and a joy to us. Thank you. Sorry, uh, our faith matters. The investment that we make matters. And um, the fact that we stand here today knowing that Brian is in no more pain and he's not dealing with an addiction and he's in heaven right now and we can rejoice with that. Um, having an active faith where you're willing to share who you are with other people, it matters. It matters for eternity. And so. As we close today, just do me a favor. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Nobody looking around. And if you're, uh, if you're like me, it's kind of hard to find those moments in your busy week of just peace and quiet where you can just take a moment and reflect on your own life and talk to God and just have those moments. And so maybe you're here today and um, maybe part or all of Brian's story resonated with you. And you're walking through some really hard things in your life. And... You're kind of at that place in your life where you're going, you know what, I just, I'm having a hard time finding purpose, and I'm finding my identity in, in things of the world, I'm finding my identity in my reputation or my success or relationships or career or whatever it is, and there has to be something more that I can give my life to. And I just want to tell you that, that there is, and um, there's an amazing verse in Romans 5, 8 that says, but dem God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us that means is that God knows all of my mistakes and my sin and my past and my present and he knows all of yours as well and in spite of all of that he offers you unconditional love the type of love that no human being can offer you and he takes it one step further he actually wants a relationship with you through his son Jesus and so if you're here today in this room or you're watching online with every head bowed every eye closed and you would say man that that's me I'm feeling that nudge that you were talking about before, like I need to do something, I need my life to change. I wanna ask Christ to come into my heart, I want a relationship with him. There's no one looking around right now, if that's you, just lift your hand up so I can see you, just lift it up, just be bold, 
I see your hand. That's awesome. I see both of you guys. Awesome. Anybody else that would say, that's me? Just lift your hand in the air right now. Very cool. I see you. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Thank you, guys. We're going to say a prayer right now, and if that was you, if you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you just know you need this, you need Jesus in your life, you can say something like this. It's not the words that save you. It's the attitude of your heart towards his. So just say something like this in your own heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I believe in your son, Jesus, and that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he beat death and rose again. I'm tired of living for me. I want to start living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you guys just give those guys a round of applause who made that decision today? Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.